Good morning. It is good to see you face to face, or at least partially face to face. We're in Ephesians chapter 1, so I want to encourage you to turn in your Bible to Ephesians chapter 1. Uh, we're going to look at the first chapter this week. Next week, we're going to look at chapter 2. Uh, and I'll tell you why we're doing that. Uh, in uh, the book of Acts, I'm going to, this is my springboard, so you don't need to turn to Acts. I just want to read it. In the book of Acts, uh, verse 1, it says, On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. And then in verse 4, it says, Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. This is significant. There was a persecution, a trouble, a difficulty, a tribulation that came to the church, and the church was scattered. Does that sound familiar? The church was scattered, and they preached the word wherever they went. You see, as long as they stayed together in the church setting, everybody just expected their pastor to preach the word. But when they were scattered, when they were forced to, to uh, move out and not be together, then they didn't have the pastor to preach the word for them anymore. They had to go do it themselves. And that's what spread the gospel all over the world. If, we could, if the church could just get a hold of this principle that sometimes God sends tribulation or allows difficulties to come to get the church outside of the walls so that all of us become ministers of the good news of Jesus Christ investing in other people's lives. So I wanted to go to the book of Ephesians and bring our, our Old Testament uh, parables series to an end because the church is now, we're coming out of this, our scatteredness. It's good to see you today. I'm glad that we're here. There's a lot of folks who don't feel comfortable coming yet, but next week maybe, maybe they'll feel a little more secure. But I want to speak to the church, whether, whether you're here in this room or, or whether it's the church that I'm speaking to in the camera. We are the church. Amen. We never stopped being the church because we couldn't meet on Sunday. But maybe we haven't dealt with it as good as we can. So I want us to look at the book of Ephesians, which talks about the church. Each chapter gives us some new insight about the church, who we are. So today I want to look at chapter 1, and I just, I just want to entitle it, Who We Are. Who is the church? Let's rediscover. Let's go back to basics. Let's, get, let's understand who we are. And so that said, I've got 11 things and that gives me about two minutes a point. So I got to go pretty quickly through these 11 characteristics of the church. And each of us need to evaluate ourselves and say, how are we doing with this? Amen. Here's the first thing. It's in verse 2 of Ephesians 1. I'll put that up. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We are a grace and peace people. If, you wanna, if you're taking notes, write this down. We are a grace and peace people people. How are we doing at that? What does grace mean? Grace means favor that you haven't earned. Undeserved favor. That's what grace means. We are a people that show grace to people. We, we find people that don't deserve favor and we give them favor because we represent Jesus Christ. We're grace and peace people. How are we doing with that? That's, that's what grace means. You know what peace means? 
means we're not embraced in a fight. We're not looking for a fight. We don't quarrel with one another. We don't bicker with one another. We are grace and peace people. This is who we, the church, are, and we ought to stand out like a sore thumb. We ought to be different. The world ought to say, what's the matter with you people? Why don't you get in the fight with us? Because we're grace and peace people. That's who we are. It's our nature. Here's the second thing that defines who we are. It's in verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who was blessed, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Notice, every spiritual blessing in Christ. The typical Christian gets out of balance here, and we start thinking, when we think about God's blessings in our life, we start thinking about money. We start thinking about wealth, and God promises to prosper us. What he give, gives us is every spiritual blessing in Christ. Let's not get them out of, out of balance here. We have to grab a hold of this. We are a spiritual people. Amen. Our enemies are not natural. They're not political. Our enemies are spiritual. That which is attacking us is a spiritual thing. And we, we are never going to win the spiritual battle politically. Doesn't make any difference who gets elected. That's not going to solve the problem. Jesus Christ is the only hope we have. Amen. So I think we need to address the, the, the fears and the, of, of, we need to address the, uh, the confusion in our culture today. And it is, it is a deep divide in our American culture. And I don't know who's going to solve it. And doesn't make any difference who I vote for. Uh, in the election, we need God's intervention because this gap is getting wider and wider. So we're a spiritual people. Every spiritual blessing, he said, everything I need is in, it's, it's, it's like everything I need to live victoriously is like tools in my toolbox. My toolbox is full. Every tool I need is in that box. He's given it to me. But just like in real life, every now and then when I go to my toolbox, I got to dig a little bit. I got to go to the bottom because what I need is in, I know it's in here, but I can't find it. So I got to dig for it. Jesus said, seek and ye shall find. You getting this? We're in the middle of a dilemma. COVID-19, the political divide in our country. God's our only hope. And he's given you and I every spiritual tool we need. It's in there. We just need to dig it out. Let's go to the the third thing. It's in verse 4. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. We are a holy and blameless people. What does that mean? Holy means sanctified, set apart, God has set us apart, you and I. He set each of us apart for a holy purpose. We haven't fully discovered what that holy purpose is, but we're getting getting it like one piece of the puzzle at a time is coming out laid on the table. We can't put it all together till we have all the pieces, but we're working on all the pieces. It's okay to do that. So we are a holy, sanctified people. 
We can't get our minds all wrapped up in worldly things. We're a holy people, sanctified people, set apart for his purpose. And blameless. What does blameless mean? Nobody can ever point a finger at me and make an accusation. I'm blameless. Turn my life over to Jesus. He's cleaned me up. Everybody sees me as good news. When they see me coming, they just put a smile on their face because they know good news is coming. I'm not coming to bring you bad news. I'm coming to bring you good news. Is that what people think when they see you coming? When, when they read your f- post on Facebook? Are they seeing good news? It makes them feel better about themselves? Are they seeing something that tears down and deeply divides? We're holy and blameless people. Here's, uh, here's number four. It's in verse five. He predestined us for adoption. Predestined means he de- put a destiny in place beforehand. Us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. We are an adopted people. We are adoption-minded people. I looked at that word adopt up because I wanted to make sure I had the clear English definition. Adopt means to make, or excuse me, to take by choice into a relationship. To take by choice into a relationship. Adoption. We're an adoption-minded people. I've had the, the privilege and the honor to have three adopted grandchildren. And I'll tell you, there is absolutely no difference in my commitment, my loyalty to them, uh, those that are adopted over those that are natural born. I love them just the same. I have the same kind of hopes for them, same kind of desires. I want to help them succeed all the same. God is so good. But I've been adopted into the family of God. I didn't grow up going through children's ministry here at New Hope. I was in another church when I went, but I'm here now. This church adopted me in. This church adopted you in. Isn't that good news? Now, what our attitude needs to be is we need to adopt new believers into our church. That gets messy because new believers have all kinds of baggage from their old life, from their old world. And if they're going to come in here, they're going to bring that garbage in here. That makes the church messy, doesn't it? That's exactly what I'm excited about. I want to help somebody clean their life up. I want to help someone whose life is broken and and damaged get it back together again. I want to help somebody who's been pushed down stand up tall. I want to help people be what God wants them to be. We need to be adoption-oriented people. Here's number five. It's in verses seven and eight. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he has lavished upon us. I love that word, lavished. What do you think of when you think somebody has lavished something upon you? Lavish? Okay. How are you pronounce? What it, what it means is you're, you're pouring it on thick. You're just pouring it on thick. He, he has lavished or lavished things upon us. He has poured it on thick. But if we get all caught up in the world and what we're hearing on the news, if we let that become our source of truth 
It'll steal our joy. It'll put, just stir up. I don't know about you, but I want to know what's happening in the world. I want to follow up on that. So I watch the news every day. And I have to tell you, when I'm done watching the news and what's happened, I'm tense on the inside. I just get agitated. I just get angry at what's happening in this world. Best thing for me to do, since I'm a redeemed people, is shut that off. And don't let that be my source of truth. Because that's just, no matter what news station you're watching, they all spin it this way or they spin it that way. All right, so we're a redeemed people. And because he shed his blood for me, I now owe some loyalty to him. Don't I? If you owe some loyalty to Jesus, you know what he's rescued you from. Say amen. 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 You owe some loyalty to him. We're redeemed people. And here's number six. It's in verses eight and nine. With all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ. We are a wise people. Wisdom. Knowledge. Wise. I, I use this illustration. Knowledge is like a book. You, you, God shows you something in the Bible, and it's like a book of information, and you put it on the shelf of your mind, the library shelf. And then you, you, you take a, a class someplace, and that's knowledge, and you put that book up on the shelf. And then you hear a sermon from Pastor Deal, and when you go home, you've learned some new things. So that's another book you put up on the shelf. And if you keep learning, you get more and more books on the library shelf. That's knowledge. Wisdom is knowing which book to pull off the shelf. Wisdom is knowing how to apply the knowledge in the right way to accomplish the goal you want to accomplish. That is wisdom. The mystery of his will. What's that? That's really a theme of the book of Ephesians. We're going to learn more about this as we go through the other chapters. Mystery of his will. The mystery is that God has a plan to bring together diverse people. To bring together Jews and Gentiles into one common place, going in one common direction. To bring together people of different races, different socioeconomic backgrounds, different backgrounds. He wants to bring us together so that the church really is a hodgepodge, a little bit of this, a little bit of that. That's us. We're the church. We're wise people. Look at verse 10 with me. Here's the next one. To be put into effect when the time, times reach their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. He wants to bring unity to all things. We are a unified church. That's who we are. We are together. We are in harmony. We are unified. That's who we are. That's our DNA. That's our makeup. And we have to be careful because if we, the unified church, allow masks to divide us, we are most miserable people. We have missed the point altogether. 
If you want to wear a mask, wear a mask. If you don't want to wear a mask, don't wear a mask. But do not get offended because other people won't do things your way. Amen? Amen. We're a unified people. If I were the devil, one of the things I would do is I would try to come up with something that would divide the people of God. Because if they get divided, they won't be together. And if they're not together, they won't work in a common direction. And in our country... Our culture is deeply divided. God, help us never to let the church be deeply divided. Amen. God's got a better plan. All right, got to go to number 8. It's in verse 11. In Him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of Him who works out everything. He works out everything in conformity with the purpose of His will. He doesn't work things out in conformity to your political party or my political party. He works it out to accomplish His will. And the things of the world just get in the way of God working out His will. We are a working out people. God works things out and He works it out in us and he works it out through us. He is accomplishing his will in this world, and he does it through us. So we need to not be so committed to the world's ways. We need to be more committed to God's ways, and we can overcome the problems in the world. So we ought to ask ourselves, how does this cultural divide we have right now, how does this cultural divide we have line up with God's purpose? That ought to be the question we're asking. How does it line up? What can we do then to accomplish this? Because we are a working out people. Let's look at verses 13 and 14. Here's number 9. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in Him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. You were marked with a seal. A seal. Back in the old days when they had a legal document, they would roll it up like a scroll, and they would take the loose edge, and they would take a candle and drip candle wax on the loose edge, and it would create a little pool of soft wax, and they would take a ring that had a certain legal mark on it, and they would impress that onto the wax, and it would set up, and it would seal that document. And if it was ever opened, you could tell it was opened. We've been marked with a seal. We have a seal upon us, and the seal is the Holy Spirit. I've been sealed. That doesn't mean, that doesn't mean I can't be hurt. It means I can't be destroyed. The seal can't be broken. The Holy Spirit has protected me. He has covered me. I am in a legal document. We are a sealed people. And we need, when we come together like this, we need to look around at who's here and we need to think to ourselves, these people are sealed just like I am. We're in this together. This is good news. Verse 16, here's number 10. Verse 16. I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. Notice he remembers them in our, in our prayers. You know, I think sometimes 
we as a church, we can't fall into this place where, where our prayers are, God, give me this, God, give me that. It's all about me. We should be praying for one another and be thankful for one another. Amen. I mean, who, who was that person that sat you down and explained the gospel to you in a very simple fashion and took you to the place of taking that step of saying the sinner's prayer and asking Jesus to come in. Who was that person? Maybe it was your mom. Maybe it was your grandmother. Maybe it was a Sunday school teacher. Maybe it was a pastor or a youth leader or a camp director. But it was somebody who laid that out for you and you bought in. Who was that person? You ought to be thankful for them. They took a risk. You could have rejected them. But they gave you the good news, and you bought it, and you're a Christian today because of that. You ought to be praying for that person, thanking God. And who were the people that held your feet to the fire when you made mistakes, when you stumbled and fell, when you were going the wrong way, and they sat you down and said, what are you, what are you thinking? What do you think the end of this is going to be? And they helped you redirect, and they helped you be what you want. Who were those people? You know what would be really therapeutic for all of us? To get a piece of paper out this afternoon or sometime and think about all the people over your lifetime who invested spiritually in your life. Who were they? Write their names down. What role did they play? Write it down. Write, make that list of people and then say a prayer of thanksgiving because these are the people God put in your life. You see, God works through the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit lives inside of you. So all of us are the instruments, the tools that God uses. All right, here's, here's number 11, my last one about us. Uh, verses 17, 18, and 19. He says, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. The incomparably great power. Are you getting this? He has empowered. We are an empowered people. We are not people learning about what might be. We are people being reminded about what we are. Who we are. We are people who have, we have a power inside of us, a spiritual power inside of us to keep us from being victims in this world. God is so good. He loves us more than we know. You know, when we, when we get entangled uh, in something like this COVID-19 thing that we've got, got going right now, it puts an insecurity in us. It puts a tension in us. And you're a better person than I if you don't get caught up in some of this, these changes, this insecurity. I'm, I am an example of someone who got caught up and, and, and uh, I stepped outside of my spiritual box, which I should be living in, and I stepped into my political box. And I corrected a couple people on Facebook that were posting things that disagreed with. You, you do that publicly? You know, Facebook, that's public. That's public information. And I corrected 
somebody publicly. And the Bible tells me if I have ought against somebody, I have to go to them privately. I didn't do that. I crossed a line. So this last week, I had to get on the telephone and I had to call a couple people up and apologize for doing that publicly. I didn't apologize for my convictions. I apologized for embarrassing them. I drew them into the fight. I don't want to be drawn into the fight. But if I'm drawn into the fight, I draw everybody else into it. That's not who we are. That's not who we are. So you and I, as Christians, what we need to do is we need to activate our spiritual dimension. Be the people of God based on these characteristics of what the church is supposed to be. So let's stand together because what we need to think about is God, help my heart to be yours. Send me out to be the people you want me to be.